Welcome, my flourishing friends, to episode number three. In today's episode, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to get personal with you. Today, I'm going to share with you my story of how I came to understand the deep connection between environmental sustainability and personal well-being. And that's all part of my story, how I went from that pigtailed little girl guide who loved camping to a sustainability professional to somebody who really had a deeper understanding of personal wellness and how it's integrally linked to green living and sustainability. Okay, let's dive in. I'm Christina Hunter, and you are listening to the Live Well Green podcast, all about sustainable well-being and green living. We explore how to do what is good for the planet and for ourselves in order to truly flourish. So picture it. It's the summer of 1980. And here I am at Camp Amisk, a Boy Scout and Girl Guide camp. And I'm about 10 years old, and I wear pigtails in my hair, and I'm a keener. I love camping, and I love the outdoors because it makes me feel so free and excited and energized. And I get to be with a bunch of friends and learn cool things and kind of learn a whole bunch of skills about being in the outdoors. I get to put the pocket knife to use that my Oma had sent me directly from Germany, and I learn all sorts of things about being prepared, that Girl Guide motto. So this is all just outside of my hometown of Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is pretty much in the middle of Canada, where we have beautiful warm summers and long and sometimes rather cold winters. That's the setting, and that's how I grew up and where my love of nature was really seated. And I learned so many cool skills out there with that Swiss Army knife, and I really loved being in nature and gained an understanding that this was an important time for me. And I certainly loved the motto of be prepared as a girl guide. So maybe it's not that surprising that when I was 19 years old, I went off to live in Germany and work there. It was a really interesting time, you know, around the globe, but it was also really great for me. At 19, I was learning so much more about the world, and I saw all kinds of really interesting sustainability and environmental practices in place. There was all kinds of infrastructure that we didn't have back home around recycling and composting, and they were separating the brown glass from the green glass and all of that. And there was also messages on the bus that I found really interesting that talked about buying quality rather than throwaway. And this was really interesting and inspiring to me. So throughout those travels, I, of course, you know, grew as a person. And that's where I gained some of my other foundations around learning from other practices around the world about environmental sustainability. 
If we fast forward to a 33-year-old young woman standing on the steps of our provincial legislature, boy, I thought I had arrived. I was there. I was wearing a nice little pencil skirt and suit, and I was on the steps of the grandest building in our province by far. It's this enormous government building with beautiful Tyndall stone and statues and oak woodwork everywhere and so on. And I was going there for a meeting. You know, it's part of what I was doing there, and it was pretty exciting. I had already finished a master's degree in analytical chemistry after an undergraduate in environmental sciences and toxicology. Then I had landed a dream job, which was at a large engineering consulting firm where I worked as an environmental scientist and project manager And shortly after that, had married the love of my life, AJ, which if anybody asks, he says stands for always joking, which is entirely true and thankfully keeps me buoyant and laughing as well. But it wasn't long after I started at this engineering firm that I was invited to teach a course at the university. Boy, it lit me up. I was on fire. So I did that for a little while and was invited to teach another course. Shortly thereafter, I said, that's it. I am meant to teach. So I went off to the university in a full-time instructor position. And I thought I had hit my stride. I was there teaching sustainability, and I've taught in the Faculty of Science, in the MBA programs, in community health sciences, in architecture, and I got to teach all kinds of amazing courses that I loved. I taught a course on managing for sustainable development in the MBA program. I taught human and natural systems in architecture. I got to teach a couple of courses on environment and health. I've taught green building and planning for many years, environmental issues, and so on and so on. It was amazing. So there I was on the steps of the legislature heading to a meeting, and this meeting was for the Roundtable on Sustainable Development. I ended up being on that roundtable board for about 10 years, most of which I was the vice chair of that board with the provincial minister as the chair. And we got to advise government on how to integrate sustainability into our provincial policies and laws. It was a really rich and rewarding time for me. I worked with a variety of other organizations as well, environmental organizations, those non-government organizations. We worked with a bunch of different businesses on greening, and I was working in my profession to make the world a more sustainable and greener place. And it felt and still feels great. That was amazing. But of course, I'm sure many of you also suffer from this uh, problem of not being able to say no, especially when you love what you're doing. And that certainly is what I found in my career. I sometimes would find myself driving to a night class and feeling totally swamped with all of the things I had to do that cartoon came to mind that says something like, 
The world is spinning and I want to get off. And certainly I felt like that throughout those busy, busy years. Fast forward again, and I'm 42 years old, sitting at my computer, writing an email. It's an email that I know nobody wants to read. It's an email I didn't want to have to send. The title of that email was Great Big C, in honor of the iconic Canadian band of the same name. But in this case, C was the letter C, and it stood for, yeah, yeah, you guessed it, cancer. So it was early September 2013. It was two days before classes began. I was sending that email to my close friends and family to let them know that I had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. They caught it early. It was looking good. I had all kinds of things going for me. I'm healthy, and the tumor was operable, and I had tons of support behind me. So even in those early days, I was incredibly thankful for all of the things I had going for me. Among those, not just the incredible husband that I had supporting me, but also access to free health care. And I remember in that first email I sent to my friends, I said, please consider supporting Médecins Sans Frontières, the Doctors Without Borders organization to help others around the globe who don't have access to free health care like I do. That was the beginning of my cancer journey. Oddly enough, it was the most beautiful fall to me. The weather was absolutely gorgeous. The fall colors were the brightest, crispest, and most gorgeous I had ever seen in my life. Everything was beautiful. The air was fresher than I had ever felt. The colors more amazing and vibrant. Everything was bright and amplified. I think I was just trying to drink it all in because all of a sudden I had something really serious to contend with. So it went on. I was treated very successfully. I had surgery and drug therapy. I got myself into a peer support group for young women with breast cancer, and I met amazing women there, and they helped me so much through this journey. I felt really empowered, empowered to make the world better in all sorts of ways, and especially for women going through cancer. So I was inspired to put together a photo book of women who have had breast cancer surgeries and the photos of what they look like in a really real but beautiful light and a little bit about their story. I teamed up with this wonderful artist and photographer named M.L. Kenneth, and we created a book called Woman Redefined, Dignity, Beauty, and Breast Cancer. You can still find it on Amazon or from our publisher, Second Story Press. I got 51 women to model for that book. Well, 50 other women and me, the one. One of my wonderful models was a friend from my peer support group, Diane. She was amazing. She told me how important the modeling experience was to her. She said it was really the first time that she felt whole again. 
So there we were, this group of women who had been through breast cancer, all ages and body types and skin tones and everything, and all different types of surgeries, and we wanted to get the book out. We raised $28,000, well, Canadian dollars. We were able to produce the book and send it out free of charge to a whole bunch of breast health centers and educational institutions all across Canada and the U.S. So that was just really a meaningful time with me. It felt like this cancer had been an enormous journey of personal growth for me. It was an important time for me because I learned that I'm part of this community of other women, and I got out pretty easily in some ways. And I felt a little guilty about that. I sometimes felt like I had cancer light. But I thought I was done with it. And of course, I was until I wasn't, until the pain came back. That's how I found myself sitting outside of the Victoria General Hospital on another early fall day, almost three years later to the date. I had just been to the Women's Health Center there. They had told me that I had a new cancer, a different cancer. That was, again, fall time, going back to classes and having to contend with looking at upcoming surgeries and treatments and still teaching and trying to hold it all together. This time was different. This fall was not shining and beautiful and bright and gorgeous like it was the last time to me. Everything was gray. It was as though this fine sheath of gray had come down over me. And everything, even though I knew it was bright and shiny out there, it just seemed gray to me. It was a really tough time. My mom was in the hospital having hip replacement surgery. There were tons of pressures at work. And my dear friend Diane, well, her breast cancer had returned. And it had traveled. And it wasn't looking good. It was a really, really tough time. That's how I found myself one day driving in the car on the way to this little rural hospital that my mom was staying in. It was one of the many trips I had made down that rural road to that hospital in the past few weeks. I was stressed to the max. I'm waiting for my own surgery, caring for my mother who was aging, and she would absolutely kill me if I said elderly. It was a rough time. Politics were driving me crazy. Everything was super stressful to me in my life then. So I turned off what I was normally listening to, which was the CBC, our good old public broadcast station. I turned the dial and I found a little local country music station. Boy, it rocked my world. All of a sudden, it spoke to me. That country music somehow really helped me out. Those lyrics just spoke to me in so many different ways. So many different songs had meaning to me. Lyrics like, just five more minutes, or, oh Lord, when it rains, it pours. Or the lyrics, if you're going through hell, keep on moving. Well, they all made sense to me. They helped me a lot. They helped both AJ and I through these really tough times. Country songs and blues songs 
all of a sudden were written for us. They meant so much to us, and they got us through a whole bunch of tough times, including three major abdominal surgeries in the next 10 months and plenty of difficult appointments along the way. And then, most difficult of all, was the passing of our dear friend, Diane, all too young, leaving behind two young boys and a broken-hearted husband and family. It was a really, really tough time of growing and learning about life, learning how to support one another as we go through these tough times. But I was searching. I was searching for healing, healing my body and my mind and my spirit through these tough times. That's how I found myself in what they called the upper lounge of the Breast Health Center in an art therapy session. It really spoke to me. The facilitator was amazing. She had us come in and do a quick little check-in. That check-in didn't involve any of the usual, what cancer do you have and where is it at and what's your treatment regime and all that stuff. That stuff was too hard and too banal for us. What we talked about was how we were really doing, how we felt inside just today. So after a little check-in, we would get down to our business. We would do some meditation and then get on to our artwork. We started with grounding meditation always, feeling our feet on the ground, settling ourselves into our chairs. And then that day, we did some visualization. Because it was springtime, she had us visualize ourselves as a little plant growing out of the ground, growing from the seed, sprouting, feeling the warmth of the sun, heating up the soil in the springtime, and triggering that seed to open up and to access the moisture and the nutrients around it, and to grow upwards towards the sun to break through the soil and become a plant in the garden. And it was our quest to figure out what kind of plant we were and what that garden would look like and then to draw it. It came to me really quickly that I wanted to be a peony. I love those flowers. They're gorgeous, but they're also strong. You know, those stems are really strong. And I needed to be a strong flower if I was going to be a flower. And I did want to be a flower. Big, pretty peony. And they're messy, but they're big and gorgeous. So I got to painting, and I immersed myself in it. Over an hour, I was at it, painting my peonies in the garden. And I painted me as a gorgeous pink peony. And my husband beside me as a beautiful, taller, bigger red peony. And then my beloved soulmate dog, Maddie. She was the smaller pink peony beside me. And there we were in the garden with the foliage all around us and the bees buzzing about and all kinds of creatures in the garden with us. And I knew that one of those bees was my friend Diane looking in and being part of that garden. It came to me as I looked at my painting at the end of the session. I could feel myself in that garden as the peony soaking up that sunshine and the rain and relying on the bees and the soil 
and feeling and enjoying the company of my neighbors in the garden. And I realized this really is a garden that I live in. And it's who I am. It makes me who I am. All of it. And I'm part of it. And I knew that despite that girl guide optimism and preparation, there's no preparing for this journey. But we can understand our role in it, that we are organic beings, that we are beings of life and light, that we are part of this earth, not separate from it, and that we'll find our wholeness in understanding how we connect to nature and to others and to ourselves. This, my friends, is my story. And this is the perspective that I come to you with. I hope this is meaningful and interesting to you to understand we all have our stories and they are important and they illuminate us as beings of this earth. All of these experiences, the personal and the professional. That's what I wanted to leave you with today. How the girl from the little prairie city became the teaching and working professional in environmental sustainability, to a woman who lives with purpose and really understands sustainable well-being at its core. So that's what this podcast will be about, sustainability and understanding ourselves as beings of this earth and why it's important. That's it for today. Next episode, come on back. We're going to be talking about sustainability. What is it and how do we get there? I can't wait to talk to you again. So until then, live well green, my flourishing friends. Bye for now.